ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everybody in between. Welcome to another episode of the Jake Motel Sports Experience. My name is Jake, and I'm joined for this NFL Week 5 recap episode by the one and only Minnesota Jack. How are you, Jacko? I'm good. I'm staying out of the torrential rain that has been pouring down in our part of the world. Um, mm. So trying to stay safe. <laughs> yeah, stay safe out there, people. It's um, it's build an arc time. It's very, very fucking rainy. <laughs> um, yeah, there are puddles pooling in parts of my property that I have not seen puddles pool in. Um, the rain from the Chicago Bears 49ers game back in week one has yeah. finally reached um, our shores. Uh, yeah, crazy year for rain over here. Um, but we're not here to talk about rain. We're not here to talk about the weather. No. As we say our in weather Australia. weather podcast is tomorrow. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Jake and Jack chatting cumulus. Um <laughs> As we say in Australia, we didn't come here to fuck spiders. We came here to talk about the NFL. Um, an interesting, intriguing week of NFL football. Um, we had, you know, the upsets. We had the expected victories. Uh, we had blowouts. We had, you know, a, a lot of close games. A lot of, like, single-score games in the NFL this week. Um, I can count at least seven, probably off the top of my head, um, if not more. So, a lot of good football played, some crap football played in parts. But I want to start, Jacko, with you. Let's let's mm -hmm. um, you know go to the source first. Let's go to the Minnesota Vikings. Um, I'll let yes. you just freewheel here. I'll put you know five minutes on the clock. And and you can just right. inter <laughs> interpret. You can just um, you know slam poetry, um, all about the Minnesota Vikings and Bears game. What were your thoughts on this? Because you knew going in mm. how this was going to play out. You you took the Bears to cover. Was it seven and a half? Sure seven did. And a half points. They did that against your Vikings. So given that you knew how this was going to play out, and it played out how it did. How were you left feeling? Yeah, I, I, I'm very happy to say that I called it. Even when we got up 21-3, I was like, this is exactly what's going to happen. I know exactly what's going to happen. And it happened. We won by seven points in the end. Chicago came back and really put the pressure on us. Um, it's the kind of game that I, I feel like has the potential to really get you down as a Vikings fan. Because we've been saying leading up to this game, okay, we've had a few of those close wins, good. But here's a great opportunity to go out and just blow out a team like Chicago. And so the fact that we didn't, at least in the second half, could be seen as a frustrating um, failure to seize an opportunity like that. But watching it, I feel like this was a different. This was a different close win. I feel like with the wins against the Saints and and the Lions, it felt like classic Vikings close games where, you know, things don't quite uh, mesh the way you want them to. You kind of feel a little bit dysfunctional, but you get over the line, right? The Chicago game, 
we dominated the first half. Like I said, we got up 21-3. Our first three um, offensive drives resulted in touchdowns. Slightly frustratingly, despite how well Kirk Cousins played in that game, the first two touchdown drives that he led all the way down the field was a classic handoff to Dalvin Cook for two yards, and I have Kirk Cousins on my fantasy team. So it was a little bit frustrating every time we got down into the end zone. It's like, come on, just just pop one over there, Kirk. Uh, but the fact that we got three first first half touchdowns was really impressive and kept Chicago to three points. And then that second half, like I said, could be seen as really frustrating that, oh, you let Chicago back in the game. But there was a really interesting, um, I guess not so much a, a stat, but I guess it is a stat in a sense. Um, I think we only had three second half drives because our defense could not keep Chicago, could not get Chicago off the field. Um, and so I've seen a lot of reactions of, oh, this offense just gave up. And it's like, well, we didn't really, we just weren't really given an opportunity like we were in the first half to go out and and score as much. And credit to Chicago, they did come back um, and really put the pressure on us to go ahead and, and, and win the game by a touchdown. And it's another example of a game that wasn't... Defense was good in the first half, kind of gave up in the second half. Offense is pretty good throughout. Um, it was a drive or two that kind of um, fizzled out, but even your best teams, they're not going to score on every single drive. But it was a big special teams failure, I feel like. Uh, Joseph missed two field goals. So if you take that into account, that's six points that's missing on the scorecard. Not easy ones. I think it was a 51 and a 53 yarder which they're not easy kicks, but for kickers nowadays in the NFL, a 51-yarder, is it's not a gimme, but you feel kind of disappointed if you don't get it because a lot of guys do kick those field goals nowadays. Um, and then on special teams again, had a horrible punt where, yeah, it was, just, it was a, I think a net five-yard punt when you take in the uh, penalty yardage. So it was an awful punt and then there was some like holding and so there was another 10 yards added. And so it was essentially a net, five-yard punt, um, which resulted in Chicago's first touchdown where they basically started the 50-yard line. So if you take that into account, if you go like, okay, Joseph kicks those two field goals at an extra six points and that punt is just a standard punt and you sort of pin them down in the within the 20-yard line and Chicago, who hasn't scored a touchdown that whole game, has to go down the whole field again. We could see a very different result. Uh, and at the end of the day, that final drive, I think it was a seven minute, 17 play drive to essentially win the game in the end led mostly by Kirk cousins, who I think we were 12 of 15 on third downs on the day, just the ability to convert third downs and move the ball and move the chains in that final drive and not just score a touchdown, but then also a two point conversion to just seal it. I was so proud of that that offense that they just put up a great first half, kind of stumbled a little bit in the second half, but when it counted, I I think statistically, it's probably not Kirk Cousins' best game, but in terms of watching it and the context of it, I think it was his best game and definitely his best drive was that, yeah, 17-play drive to win it. 
Yeah, and, and look, it came on a good weekend as well where the Packers fall. Um, mm. you know, so, so contextually, it's important because Minnesota now takes a one-game lead at the top of the NFC mm. North. Uh, these are the wins, you know, along the way, I suppose, that, that win you division titles is the ones where, you know, the Bears came back and led in this game. I haven't actually watched this game myself, but they, you know, they went touchdown with their last possession of the first half. And I wonder if that's where they found something, Jacko. They had a 46-second touchdown drive that went 50 yards. Yeah, um, that was right four- after that punt that I talked about. So it just yes. gave them a perfect opportunity to score. Four plays, 50 yards, touchdown. They score on their first possession of the second half. Touchdown, eight plays, 67 yards, four and a half minutes. Uh, six and a half minute field goal drive, three minute field goal drive. Their last drive of the game, a fumble um, after going 36, oh, beautiful. 36 yards on five plays. Um, what? Uh, so, so you're coming away, I guess, heartened by what you saw, not feeling like the Bears exposed something on, on defense that other teams can replicate. More that, you know, the, the positive to take away is, yes, a, a team fought back against you, which happens in the NFL, but the Vikings able to go down and get the win. Cousins, I think, just by my count, was six of eight on that final drive and had the, the touchdown mm. rush up the middle. Plus, you know, seven of nine, if you include the the two-point um conversion to put you up by seven Mm. so that's that's pretty massive um what did you see from justin fields i'm interested um to know yeah well like because he's had a rough time of it did did you think fields played well like he went um 20 what did he go i'm just trying to find his his stats on this vast statistical but he went 15 of 21 208 for a touchdown, no interception, two sacks, eight rushes for 47 yards. What did you th- He had two fumbles. Um, neither of those were lost. Mm-hmm. Um, it was Smith Marchette who lost the fumble um, uh, at the end of the game. What did you think of Justin Fields' performance? I was really in- impressed by him. Uh, I think Fields and Cousins had almost complete opposite games in that Cousins um, set the record a Vikings record for most um, franchise uh, completions before an incompletion, I think with 18, I think it was 18 of 18 at some point um, was just like one of the commentators said, locked in, but we weren't getting a lot of big plays. Mm. And I think that's because when those short to medium passes are available as a quarterback, you take them and you just keep going down the field. Whereas Justin Fields was a lot more inaccurate, not necessarily when you look at the uh, the final stats, because then you're kind of taking in trying to win the game at the end. But for most of the game, it was Fields who was really inaccurate. It was either missing guys or the Bears receivers who were dropping passes. But the amount of big plays that um, Fields threw for was really impressive. There was a particularly great ball that he threw to um, to Mooney with a, which I think was a one hand catch. Uh, to set up that first touchdown was really impressive. And his ability to sort of navigate the pressure and pick up first downs with his legs was really frustrating from a Vikings perspective and really kept the the Chicago Bears in the game. Like if if he was a quarterback who wasn't mobile, I don't think the Bears come back. I think the Bears came back because when it was tough for them, 
Fields was able to navigate that pressure and keep the chains moving. So I was actually really impressed um, by Fields. I watched him and went, like I like I thought would happen. I thought this would be like his, not breakout game, but a game where he could kind of get a bit of mojo back because we tend to do that with like mediocre or backup quarterbacks for some reason. Mm. But, and that's what I kind of predicted with this one. And it was a great opportunity for him to, Kind of test out his muscles a bit, and um, to be honest, like that final drive could have very easily been a winning, a game-winning drive for Justin Fields. It's just that Marset should have stepped out of bounds, decided to grab extra yardage, and Cam Dantzler came in and literally just grabbed the ball and then ripped it out of his hands and, and won the game. So yeah, from a Vikings perspective, Fields was was frustrating to watch which is good for Fields and Chicago. I've got a, a quick trivia question for you. And being a Vikings fan, you mm-hmm. might know the immediate answer. Um, but I just want to see. I just want to see. How many mm-hmm. touchdowns has Justin Jefferson caught in 2022? Two? That's correct. He hadn't caught a touchdown okay. this season until the weekend. Yeah. I couldn't believe that. I thought he must have had like five or six. No touchdown. No, well, I, I, That's insane. I thought he caught two just in the game we watched earlier in the season. Oh, one minute. I think no, one, he didn't catch, he didn't catch one. He, he caught the two. He did. He caught the two yeah. against the Packers in week one. I was looking at his stats mm-hmm. upside down. That's all right. That still stuns me, though, that he hasn't caught yeah. any touchdowns since week one. Uh, plenty of yards, and I'm, he's, he's having a great season. He's on pace for like 1,900 yards this season, but I, I was yeah. shocked to, to see that he's only caught the two. There you go. Yeah, it's um, been a weird sort of start for for Jefferson. Like he had that great opening game, the two touchdowns, you know, like 100-odd yards, um, had that weird patch um, the next two games, mm. and he's starting to get back into a rhythm. But the passing game in general has just been – not bad. It's been really good, but it's just been so different. Like so many different guys are catching passes, are catching touchdowns. Um, it's just a bit of a weird mix that I feel like as the games keep going forward, we'll realize kind of what this offense looks like when it comes to scoring. Cause it's a very different scoring offense to what we saw last year. Very, yeah. Just really interesting. The, the games against the Eagles and the Lions where he was targeted 18 times for nine catches and 62 yards. Um, and it's just, yeah, interesting to know what those teams were doing. I haven't gone back and rewatched those games or anything, but it would be interesting to see how those teams played him or just maybe mm. those teams possess, you know, a number one cornerback who was able to go with him you know, yeah. a little more than usual or that, you know, um, let's move on from this game though. There's a few bizarre matches around the traps. The, the, the Texans mm. beating the Jags 13 to six. Um, the, let, let's talk about, and this, this is something that came up in a couple of games, came up in chiefs, uh, chiefs Raiders, and it came up in mm-hmm. charges Browns. Coaches being far too clever for themselves on fourth down. Now, I had you watched the Chargers-Browns game? Because I hadn't seen that one, but I'd watched Chiefs-Raiders. And Chiefs-Raiders, right at the end of that game, um, 
the the Chiefs score a touchdown to go up. I think they went up seven. And so you think, well, they'll kick an extra point here, go up eight, make it so that the, you know, the 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 Raiders have to go for two to tie it up if they get a touchdown. They don't. They go for two, and it's incomplete. And I was like, Jesus, I don't like that decision by Andy Reid. But but you know, at least you're up by seven. I I, I guess. I mean, I didn't get it, but I you know whatever. Mm-hmm. Then the Raiders go on uh, you know a touchdown drive themselves. So they score the touchdown and with a deep pass, 48-yard touchdown pass to Devontae Adams from Carr uh, on third and six. So that makes the game 29 to 30 and you go, well, kick the extra point. There's still four and a half minutes left. Both teams have all their time out. So, you know, kick the point, make Kansas City score again. They go for a two-point conversion, a Josh Jacobs rush that fails. So you're suddenly trailing by a point having had the opportunity to tie it up, what really got my goat was um, the Chiefs then had to punt. So the Chiefs couldn't score. Mm. The, the Raiders' offense, uh, the Raiders defense holds them. And then they end up, um, their, their final drive, Vegas, ends up with a deep, incomplete pass, looking for Devontae Adams on fourth and one. The Uh Chiefs kneel it out after that. With four and a half minutes left, you go for it on on, on the the two-point conversion when all you need is an extra point to tie it up. The Chiefs have gifted you the opportunity to just put one through the uprights Mm. and tie it up and force them to go and try and get a score. And then you're left chasing, uh, you know, you're left chasing points just to tie it up, uh, uh, just you know, to win it at the end because you, you, you didn't just take the easy equalization there of the extra point. I hated that. Didn't like it from mm. Andy Reid, but I hated it from Josh McDaniels. And then you sent me a video that should have had a fucking trigger warning on it um, of, <laughs> of Brandon Staley going for it on fourth and two on his own side of midfield with his team leading 30 to 28. With the Browns having a minute and 20 left or a minute and 14 seconds left and no timeouts and Jacoby Brissett as their quarterback and you don't punt them back deep into their own territory. they Now, they missed a field goal, didn't they, the Browns? Is that is that right? Yeah. They went on, yep. What the fuck is going on, Jack? The Yeah. That one is ultimately where I'm just... Oh. I, I I almost have no words for the the Chargers Browns one, especially when like later on I think I read something where Staley was like, oh you know, well I trust my defense, you know I trust my defense, so I thought we'd go for it and try to win the game there. It's like, well if you trust your defense, pin them back within the ten yard exactly. line and trust your defense to oh. defend the whole field. Like it makes zero sense, none, zilch. It's the it's so weird that Brandon Staley has turned from like you can criticize what the Chargers were like last year, but like at least on fourth down, uh, at least from memory, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like they were more than, often than not successful with those risky fourth downs. Whereas this season, it started with him not using them. I remember when the Chiefs were playing the the Chargers earlier in the season, there were all of these fourth down opportunities that were not like that. 
but like perfectly good fourth down opportunities and Staley wasn't taking them. And I was like, surely you're, aren't you the fourth down guy? And he's gone from that. And now he's like, oh yeah, I'm the fourth down guy. I'm going to go for it on fourth down in the worst situational position. It's ridiculous. And then the Browns as well should be noted earlier on, just before that Chargers drive that ended in the fourth down failure, the Browns were in the red zone, maybe even within the 10-yard line. I think it was like first and goal or something. Going, The Browns were going for a touchdown and Brissett threw a horrible interception in the end zone. Mm. So the Browns really should have won that game. Brissett shouldn't have thrown that interception, should have maybe ran out, out of bounds or threw it away or something. And probably they would have scored a touchdown. So the Chargers are like, all right, we'll intercept it here, but we'll give you another chance, Browns. We'll give you another mm. chance. We'll go for it on fourth down here and and fail and let you go down the field again. And then the Browns miss, uh, I think, a 40-something yarder. So a pretty easy field goal for an NFL kicker. Just ridiculous. Don't understand it. Yeah. No, I I, I also do not understand um, the, the play calling... Like, I don't think you want the reputation as the fourth down guy. You know what I mean? Like, mm. It's it's like people who start saying, oh, I'm, I'm a money ball guy. Forgetting that, like, money ball is meant to be a fluid system. Like, the idea of money balling something is finding the weakness in the system and and exploiting it to your advantage. It's, it's not mm. a one-size-fits-all forever model. And that's what I feel like this is. I'm the fourth down. I want to be the guy who goes for it on fourth down. Why don't you just be the guy who makes the smart decision? Yeah. You know what I be mean? Be the like, smart guy. Yeah, be the smart guy. Don't be the fourth down guy. Don't be the dude who's like, oh, we never punt. We never punt. Be- because, you know, the, the, the NFL market shifts... You know what I mean? The the economy of yardage, the economy of first and mm-hmm. second and third and fourth downs, the economy of scoring, of offense and defense, like it changes in the NFL as the, the landscape and the environment around the individual pieces of the game shifts and evolves. Be the smart guy. And do you know who's smart? Patrick Mahomes. Who? Patrick Mahomes is very fucking mm. smart. He's very fucking fun to watch. Um, Patrick Mahomes, 29 of 43 for 292, four touchdowns, no interceptions, all four touchdowns to Travis Kelsey. Um, Patrick Mahomes is a joy to watch. He's an absolute joy to watch. Um, but the player I wanted to talk about, uh, the, the person I wanted to talk about, Jacko, and I haven't been able to watch this game yet. I've only seen highlights. Um, I actually did watch a lot of games this weekend, just none of the ones that I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> the, the, the guy who's smart and who showed that he can still be the villain from Game of Thrones, um, you know, who mm-hmm. wins when you want to see the good guys win, it's Bill Belichick and the Patriots because like mm. when, when the mountain or whatever it was, you know, grabbed yeah. the head of the viper and squished his eyeballs through his skull and you're like, no, what are you doing? That's what Belichick and the Patriots did to the Detroit Lions who came into this game at Gillette Stadium, like putting points on the board at will. And, oh, they're, you know, they're a fun, plucky team to watch. The Patriots curb stomped them into submission 
Um, five, five Nick Fault field goals, a 59-yard fumble return um, touchdown by Kyle Duggar, and one touchdown pass from Bailey Zappi. The Patriots rumble to a 29-to-zip victory over the Detroit Lions. Um, did you get eyes on this game, Jacko? I didn't. It was the classic uh, watching yeah, another game and okay. seeing the score in the bottom corner, and you're like, oh, well, this is... Let's not dwell not on good. it too much then. I just It was another great example for me of, of just how Balachek is sometimes at his best with working with a little, but you know, he's also mm. at his best when he has a schematic advantage over the teams that he's coaching against. And I think I'd be nervous myself as a Detroit Lions fan that what we're seeing isn't that maybe despite being such a feel-good story and such a likable motley crew that this Detroit Lions coaching staff doesn't have the schematic ability to beat some of these teams. Um, I hate to say it, but Detroit's done. I don't, I don't see them. The, 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 with all of these close, high-scoring losses, I thought, not that I would predict it necessarily, but I thought, oh, there's a real possibility the Lions figure out some stuff on defense. I think we talked about it a bit on the last pod. Like, if they just figure out something on defense... They're not going to win the division, but maybe they can be a much improved version of themselves over last year and try and build some momentum into maybe competing for the division at some point and at least winning more games. I know it's one game, and I know you don't want to overreact, but I'm really looking at the whole it's not of game, the five man. weeks now. And Detroit is is done. They're they're not gonna they're gonna be a shit team. They're, they're, what's what's frustrating to me is that then for me they're not a shit team. They're a team that's got a lot of talented players, um, but I, I've I've been bitten once again by the hard knocks bug, where I remember yeah. watching the you know the twenty eighteen Cleveland Browns. I remember watching the twenty nineteen Raiders, you know, and going, oh yeah, these teams might actually be good, and they've got talent, and I don't know. I'm I'm really starting to wonder that. The most interesting coaching staffs to watch on Hard Knocks aren't necessarily the ones that are putting to the into effect the best game plans. I don't know what mm. time is going to tell, but there feels like a distinct pattern at the moment. You know, for across the last season and a bit with Dan Campbell and the staff there and 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 the Lions, they lose in very similar ways. Um. The defense is a problem. Defense is a massive, massive problem. Um, they've allowed 170 points in five games. Um, that's that's a problem. That's a big problem. Yeah. Um, and and here we go. So we've got bye week for Detroit at mm. Dallas, <sighs> Miami. Dude. Oh no, two will be back by that stage, you reckon? Green Bay. That's their next three weeks. If, Cow- it, Cowboys, Dolphins. If Packers. you know, if you know a Lions fan, please check on them. Please <laughs> make sure they're in a good headspace because that could be really ugly. 
Um, yeah, because Dallas looks really good, especially on defense. Um, Miami, if Tua is back, like I think they'll still be a really good team. And as much as the Packers are kind of looking like a shadow of their former selves, they're still a well-run organization. They've still got Aaron Rodgers. Um, they're still, a, I think, a good football team at three and two. Did you it could get this? Might not be the most ugly result. Did you get to watch? Um, now there were some games last year I remember where Dallas, you know, like had two scores on defense or something. They put a fifty burger on someone, and I can't remember who it was. It might have even been the Eagles. I'm sure Dallas beat the mm. Eagles like fifty-six to twenty or something, like in the last game of the season. Um, like there's going to be some teams that. I uh, that the Patriots now the Patriots shutting down Detroit's offense didn't surprise me as much as putting up twenty nine points with Bailey Zappi yeah. at quarterback and, and you know like I guess it is only twenty two offensive points because they got a return touchdown I think if Ramon, memory I, serves me correctly yeah I, I would like to see actually um that what the the time of possession was in this game mm. um it was actually very close 31 minutes for for new england 29 for detroit so very strange very strange game I, i'll have to go back oh. and actually watch this one the lions went for it six times on fourth down six times on fourth down and they they made none of them so if you if you if you add up yeah. third third downs and fourth downs, so you know drive drive prolonging downs, they went four of eighteen. This is this is classic Belichick. Don't make the killer mistake, and the killer mistake for Dan Campbell and the Lions, Belichick knew they would go for it on fourth down, and they gave the ball back to the Patriots on downs six times. Plus twice on turnover. So that's eight times you've handed the other team possession. Um, yeah. Likely in good field position as well. If it's a f- failed fourth exactly. down, that's probably going to be. For it on- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ridiculous. Um, so anyway. Anyway, anyway. Um, let's move Poor on. Lines. To- did, did you let me, let me ask you some questions? So did you see Packers Giants? Did you watch that game? Yes, I did indeed okay. watch that game. What happened there? Did the Giants, you know, how did the Giants look? I've got, this is one again. I can't believe. So I watched Jets, Dolphins. I watched that game. I yep. watched Saints, Seahawks. I watched Colts and Broncos, if you could call it a game mm-hmm. on Thursday Night Football. I watched the first three quarters of Steelers, Bills, and then thought that's enough of that. Um, I watched the Ravens and Bengals. I watched the Cowboys and the Rams. I watched the Eagles and the Cardinals, and I watched the Raiders and the Chiefs. We just haven't talked about any of those games yet. Yeah. Um, but what what did what happened in Giants Packers? Like, did did the Giants do a number on the Packers? Was it lucky? Was it you know what what happened in this game? Um, uh, Packers were, I, I think, the far better team early. Um, you know, it was 20 okay. to 10 at half time. Uh, it really looked like it looked early on, like this was going to be the game where the giants are like, ah, all right, maybe we're not the kind of, um, team that we thought we were. And the Packers kind of assert themselves a little more, um, you know, they'll move in the ball. Well, 
Uh, Rogers is throwing well. They're running the ball effectively. But just something happened uh, in the second half where not only did the Giants start getting some drives together, particularly in the in the last quarter where they scored two touchdowns, but the Packers on offense did nothing. They couldn't move the ball. They couldn't get in the end zone. They couldn't get a field goal. They just all of a sudden shriveled up and couldn't compete. You know, if you take away the the safety that the Packers scored, which was the Giants conceding a safety as a sort of time management strategy, um, so the Packers didn't even earn it. If you take that out, they were scoreless in the second half. Mm. And I, I think it's a bit of both. I think it's a bit of the Packers, you know, not having the the firepower to really keep pushing. But I also think credit should be given to the Giants. I think they've got a guy in, in Dayball. <laughs> they've got a guy in Dayball who just manages to get his team to win games. And I don't know, at four and one, it becomes harder and harder to say that's a false record. Early mm. on with good looking records, like two and one, three and one, you can kind of argue, but once you suck into four and one, it's really hard to argue that 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 stretch of wins is somehow false. And I know we've, you know, we saw Arizona last year, they completely um, gave up in the second half of the year. So Giants, I'm not saying they're going to go ahead and have a similar record at the end of the season, but it's becoming harder and harder to brush them off and say, well, you know, we'll talk about these four and one teams. We'll talk about the five and oh Eagles, but we won't talk about the Giants because that's not real. I think it's real. I think they earned this and they, they, they looked good. And Daniel Jones is not like going to go out there and necessarily win you a game. But I think, I think their weapons are underrated. I think Barkley's back at like 100% health and strength. He's looking deadly and Jones is doing enough. He's a bit mobile. He can move around. He's not making mistakes like he did a lot last season and throughout his career. Giants are putting some together and the Packers look dysfunctional to say the least. Yeah, and, and you know, I think what you've got to look at with um with with the Giants is, you know, like you can sort of talk about the Cardinals and how well they did start. Yeah, but like the Giant the the Cardinals had like Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins and James Connor mm. and you know, all, you know all these, you know, fancy kind of players, you know. The 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 Giants are doing this with Daniel Jones at quarterback. The, now, they've got Saquon Barkley, so that's fair enough. But then you've got Daniel Ballinger, Darius Slayton, Marcus Johnson, Richie James, David Sills, Chris Mearick catching passes. I mean, besides Slayton, who's a bit of a name, the rest are pretty much like no names. And yet, yes. when you watch the Giants and their offense, they look effective. They're not, they're not going out there and... Um, you know, scoring off big plays. They don't seem to have like one-on-one talent where like you just pop it up in a in a fade and these guys are gonna cut catch touchdowns. But they're like they're just doing enough. And I feel like having an effective offense is sometimes actually more valuable than some kind of a big play offense. It just depends on how your team is schemed up to play. And I think the Giants have, yeah, they've figured out how to best utilize their whole team. Um, And yeah, I haven't quite done a lot of like analysis of their defense, but I've been keeping an eye on their offense. And I think they're, they've figured out what works for their team and it's got them to four and one. 
I think that the defense is a big part of it because you, you have a look here. They, they had seven passes defended. The Packers had one. So that's someone, you know, batting mm. a ball away, getting a hand up there. Um, like, that's huge to, to have seven, seven passes, um, you know, defensed in that way. If you think about Rogers completed 25 throws of 39, add on seven of those that were batted away. So without those, it's 32 of 39. You know, it's an extra seven yeah. completions, and say. If you look at their... Um like other games, they've kept their opponents to 20, 16, 23, 12, and 22. Yeah. So not some kind of shutout defense, but, but those kind of, that kind of averages around 19, 20 points, right? Mm. If your defense can on average, keep your opposition to 20 points, you know, a couple touchdowns, a couple field goals, you only need your offense to be effective and score. Like you can absolutely win with an okay offense if your defense is keeping the opponent to that kind of score. So, yeah, I think that their defense is... <laughs> the, the, the NFC East is like Washington kind of pushed aside. They seem to be pretty underwhelming. But, like, you've got the Eagles who are undefeated. Dallas who are... They're 4-1 now, aren't they? They've only lost yep. the one game with, with Dak. Yep. And so they're playing this well with a really good defense and Cooper rush like undefeated as a, as a starting quarterback. And now the giants who I think we can add into that pile of legitimately good teams, not Super Bowl teams, not like going to win necessarily their divisions, but like good teams that you can go like, this is actually a good team, not kind of a facade. So we've got coming up them Ravens, then at Jags at Seahawks by week, Texans, Detroit, there's a situation where they go four and one the next stretch and they sit eight and two. There's definitely a situation yeah. where they could go three and two and be seven and three, which as a, as a Giants fan, if you said you're going to be seven and three after 10 weeks, um, you, you would take that, um, you know, with, with open arms. Uh, just on Brian mm. Dayball too, was a graduate assistant at Michigan State from 98 to 99. Reason that's important is because that was when Nick Saban was the head coach at Michigan State. Mm. Um, he was a, de a defensive assistant and wide receivers coach at the New England Patriots from the year 2000 to the year 2006, winning a lot of Super Bowls under Bill Belichick. Um, he was the Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator in 2012. Uh, he went back to New England as the tight ends coach. 2013 to 2016. He was the offensive coordinator for Alabama under Nick Saban um, from in 2017. Spent, what, 18, 19, 20, 21, four seasons with the Bills as the offensive coordinator. Now he's in New York. He has been around a lot of smart football teams, a lot of smart football coaches. And, you know, there is something a little Belichickian about the ability to win with this Giants team that he has made more than the sum of their parts. Um, mm. Beating the Packers, now it wasn't at, you know, at Lambeau, it was in London, but still, that's that's a that's a big deal um, to get yeah. that win. So it's going to be interesting to see how it all pans out for them across the next little while. Um, 
Uh, are the LA Rams and the Cincinnati Bengals, like, just going to be meh this year? Who's more likely out of those teams, do you think, to, to surge down the stretch and, and make a run at another division title and, and a playoff run? The, the, Cowboy, the Rams lost 22-10 to 10 and were incredibly meek in going down. Which I called. <clears throat> yes, you did. Yeah, and outright, and outright. Win. Outright win for Dallas. We did so very well that. on the Sicko spreadsheet. We went four and two. I got the under mm. Colts and Broncos on Thursday night football. Um, also got, I'll have to go, but I'll find the spreadsheet in a minute. But yes, we did very well. Went four and two of our six picks to go 10 and five in our last 15. Um, pretty pretty decent uh, effort here by us. Um, so the Rams lost 22 to 10, looked toothless at home against the Cooper Rush-led Cowboys. So I think Cooper Rush didn't even throw for 100 yards. Or if he did, it didn't happen until late in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bengals lost 19 to 17 in a pretty classic um, sort of slugfest in the AFC North. There was a lot of defense, not a lot of fluent offense. What are your thoughts on these two teams? Last year's Super Bowl uh, participants. Do you think they're both Mm. destined for meh? Or do you think one of them or both of them can rise out of the malaise? I I, I get the feeling that they are both destined for meh. I I get the feeling that if they continue on this path, they're both going to be pretty mediocre. But that being said, I feel like the Bengals and Joe Burrow are the team that might be able to wrangle that destiny and twist it and turn it into something that better fits their their desires. Whereas the Rams, I don't know if they have that in them. Because at least the Bengals, you know, they lost the Super Bowl, which can really flip and make your team really unmotivated the next season. But I just don't get that feeling with the Bengals. And they've looked, aside from that opening game, They've looked good. I know the record doesn't look great, but they've looked good in all of their games. And whereas the Rams, I don't think I've seen one game from them this season where they've looked like, ah, this is the Rams from last year. And if there's one team that's going to be able to get out of the mud and start actually making some progress, it's the team with something to fight for, which is the Bengals. Going, we can't waste this season. We just got to the Super Bowl. We we're one step away from winning the whole thing. We can't just give up now. Whereas the Rams, I don't know if they had the same motivation behind them. Um, you know, the, the, their offensive line has really been affected. They're like, besides Cup, they've got no receiving options. They've got no real effective running game. Yeah, I would, I would not be surprised if both teams finish with, yeah, like a sort of just above 500 record but if there's one team that's going to buck the trend and do something with this season it's going to be the Bengals. yeah it's fascinating when you look at some of these numbers like from these games like ones that stand out to me the rams had 38 rushing yards on 15 carries um yeah you know they were uh matthew stafford was sacked five times in the game, they had three turnovers. You you look over on on the other side of things, Dallas. Dallas had ten first downs for the entire game. 
and won 22 to 10. They had 34 carries for 163 yards. You had it, it's just such a brilliant contrast in, in numbers, right? So so Dallas has 34 carries, 163 yards and a touchdown. The Rams have 15 carries for 38 yards. Dallas throws the ball 16 times. 10 completions, 102 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. The Rams throw the ball 44 times for 29 completions, 39, uh, 320 yards, touchdown, and interception. Um, Cooper Rush is sacked three times. The Rams five times for Matthew Stafford. Dallas has two fumbles, loses none of them. The Rams have two fumbles. They lose both of them. Um, Third down was an absolute train wreck. The teams combined for 11 of 32. 11 of 32. Wow. But this Cowboys defense is is Super Bowl ready, I think. Mm. I think uh, Micah Parsons is is an absolute force. He had two tackles, uh, sorry, two sacks, five tackles, three QB hits, one forced fumble, um, Malik Hooker, an interception, a pass defense, a couple of tackles. Uh, Cowboys defense is legitimate. And and if Dak can get the offense back operating at, at the levels that you would expect them to have operated on, you know, say the last couple of seasons where they were putting up plenty of yards and plenty of points, uh, the, the Lombardi Trophy... It could be in danger of going back to Jerry Jones and the Cowboys because I think this defense is Super Bowl ready. I, I, I don't. The Rams do one thing really well, and that is throw to Cooper Cup, and if you can take that away, yeah, they're screwed. And even if you can take the rest away, and and just leave it to him, they're kind of screwed as well because you know you can't just have. One avenue all season. It sort of makes you realize how important OBJ was, you know, to their success. How yeah. important, you know, a guy like Robert Woods was at times to their success. How important a run game is. I agree with you about the Bengals. <laughs> Who would have thought? I agree with you with the Bengals. Yeah. But but they're a similar team where, you know, you had Jamar Chase, 12 targets, 7 catches, 50 yards. People just aren't letting him destroy them deep like he was last year and, and teams adjust, you know, there's no animal that evolves quicker than an NFL defensive coordinator. Um, you know, so I, I think the Bengals can get back to it, you know, get back to some sort of winning football. Lamar and the Ravens are kind of a really weird team. You know, like, I don't think they're a very, mm. I don't think they're a great team to be honest. They are three and two. The AFC North is a mess. It's a real messy division. Yeah, I think the Ravens run away with that division, to be honest. But that- a- another sort of comparison between the two of the Bengals and the Rams, like the Ravens are probably the best team of the Bengals division. But um, yeah, like you don't really rate them that highly. I don't really rate them that highly, although they seem to be more effective on offense than I thought they'd be, which is, you know, real credit to them. Um, and Lamar's going to try and win the MVP this year. Uh but like Steelers could be a real mess um, if they're not already. And then the Browns, I don't know. I, they've looked okay sometimes. And then sometimes they look really weird and Jacoby Brissett just making horrible decisions. 
Whereas the Rams, like, I know the Cardinals are kind of a mess, but 49ers are looking real dangerous, especially on defense, and the Rams cannot beat them. The Rams cannot beat the 49ers. And the Seahawks, I know their, their record isn't great, but the Seahawks look so good on offense. And so even though the defense isn't that great, the offense of the Rams isn't that great. So the, those two teams meeting up could could easily go in Seattle's favor. So I think the Bengals have a better chance when it comes to their division than than the Rams do. The thing for me is that the the Browns are are a pretty good football team. Um, I think it's impressive that they've gone two and three with Jacoby Brissett as their quarterback, putting up 26, 30, 29, 20, 28 points. Um, now their loss to the Jets was truly bizarre. They let they let the Jets score two touchdowns. Sure. They they should be three and two. Um. They also be four and one because they really should have beaten the Chargers. <laughs> well, they really should have beaten the Falcons too, twenty to twenty-three. Do you know what I mean? Like they've they've been yeah. in a lot of close games, and I just think that they are quite a well-coached team. And I I worry that if they can hover around five hundred, that when Deshaun Watson comes back, that they might surge down the stretch because they have. I hope not. I hope it's actually the opposite, and he comes in and completely messes up the synergy of that team. <laughs> because he comes back in week week thirteen to play the Texans, mm. right? They go Texans, yep. Bengals, Ravens, That's Saints, Commanders, Steelers. They could very much win all of those games. They mm. could definitely. That I I I would put them going. Four and two at worst in that stretch, unless some other teams have figured things out. So it's gonna the, the next four weeks are gonna tell it. Or the next four, say say the next six games are interesting for the Browns and their playoff chances because they've got the Patriots coming into Cleveland, then they go at Ravens, home against the Bengals, at the Dolphins, at the Bills, and then home to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. If you go two and four in that stretch, you might be cooked. And you yeah. could go, and you could go worse, depending. So, so I feel I like I could see them losing all those games. To be honest, they could win they, some, but like I could see a reality where they don't win a single game. They probably need to go three and three yeah. in that stretch to to be sort of playoff relevant. Um, you know, which is which will which be is, tough if the Ravens continue to be good and the Bengals end up improving like we think they will. Mm-hmm. Then they'll be the third best team of that division. It might be too little, too late for Deshaun Watson. Um, I find it of, hard yeah, bring that team. I find it hard to believe in the Ravens, and I don't know why. Like Lamar Jackson's exceptional, and to me, so much else on the roster is just like eh, whatever. Like, and, and so yeah, you know, once in the you games reach I've a- watched of those, yeah, of of the Ravens, it feels often more like either. Either the other team loses, meaning like it was sort of more of the other team not capitalizing than the Ravens winning, or it's Lamar just pulling something out of his ass again and just winning the game on his own back. I haven't watched a game yet where I go like, that team, the Baltimore Ravens, will that win into existence? And doesn't mean they can't do that, but it just means that of all the teams with their record, 
I kind of have them lower on the on the ranking in my head because yeah, they don't seem like a united team in terms of why they're winning. It seems that they're winning because, yeah, because of Lamar Jackson and Lamar Jackson alone, or it's that they just play the team that didn't really match them. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see them start to play some more good teams like Bengal, like the Bengals. I still do rate the Bengals. So as they continue to play those tougher games, how that evens out, I think we'll we'll see. But yeah, they're helped by a division that's uh, less than uh, competitive compared to a lot of other uh, divisions around the around the league. Yeah, absolutely. I um I uh, it, it's it's a weird Do you want to do you want to touch on your Steelers for a moment? Cuz I'm curious I, about mm-hmm. whether you think that's more of a Steelers problem or if that's just the Bills being the Bills and they just do that to any team that's kind of less than great. Ah, uh, no. I think it's I think it's well, I mean, it it can be both in this in the sense that the Bills mm. are really good. The Bills are really good. They are a team that is in the absolute. You know, it's like when Aaron Rodgers had that stretch where it's like he's in like the peak of his powers right now, and it's just up to you how many Super Bowls you want to win with him. Do you know what I mean? It's up to yeah. everyone else to decide. How, okay, how far along the journey do we want to go? I feel like that's where the Bills are at. While everyone's healthy, while Josh Allen's healthy. Um, it's it's up to you how far you how far you want to go and that third quarter they sorry the second quarter where they put up twenty one points on the Steelers they were playing with us it was like watching the you know the uncle play with you know his nephew his little nephew or whatever and it's mm-hmm. just like yeah 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 you're in the game you're in the game all right now we're just gonna flex our muscles for like two seconds and and just blow you away um. You know, so it was a 98-yard touchdown pass from the Bills about a minute into the game uh, from Josh Allen to Gabe Davis. We had them backed up in the end zone. Backed up in Mm. their end zone, done a lot of good defensive work to force them back, and and they just go bang, straight over the top, open man. He goes to the house. Steelers drive down. uh, They kick a field goal. Bills kick a field goal. Then sort of part of the way through the third quarter, 62-yard touchdown pass from Allen to Gabe Davis. They followed up two minutes later, 15-yard touchdown pass from Allen to Stefan Diggs. Six minutes later, um, touchdown pass, Khalil Shakir catches it from Josh Allen, and suddenly it's 31-3 to at halftime. Uh, the Steelers are a mess. The Steelers are a mess, and they've, they'd be a mess but a slightly more dangerous mess with TJ Watt. Um, mm. They they picked up 23 first downs. The Bills picked up 21. Um, the Steelers can't move the ball on the ground. Najee Harris has become the slowest running back I've ever seen. It's like, watch, he, he's, he's a man in slow motion, and I don't know if it's just... I don't think it's just injury. I don't think he was the fastest back in the draft and that would be okay if if you had an offensive line that could block for him because i think then he's very patient and he's good at finding the hole and you know he can make plays but he doesn't have that just that burst and like i said whether that's injury mm. or what i don't know they can't run the ball 17 carries for 54 yards 
they asked Kenny Pickett to throw it 52 times. 52 times. He completed 34 of them, 327 yards, no touchdowns, one interception. He was sacked three times. Um, it, it's one of those things for the Steelers. They, they controlled the clock 36 minutes to 24 minutes, and they lost mm. 38 to 3. Look, it's, I guess my rant about this Steelers situation is there's a lot of talent at a couple of positions and then a, a lot of dross at some really important ones. The offensive line, you know, it's been promised to be fixed for multiple seasons and it's just not happening and they've not, you know, I think you have to be, it's instructive where teams choose to spend their money and the Steelers mm. don't choose to spend their money on the offensive line. They haven't. And and so you can talk about, oh, we're going to develop them and coach them up and all that sort of thing. At the end of the, the, the day, some positions you need to stack some talent at and the Steelers haven't done a good enough job of stacking talent on the coaching side of things, either they they lost a really great offensive line coach, Mike Munchak, I think, to the Broncos a few seasons ago when Le'Veon Bell left around the same time. Can't run the ball, you can't pass protect, so it doesn't really matter who you've got under center. I think Kenny Pickett's a fine yeah. quarterback, but I think they cooked their last two drafts in in the early rounds. I think taking Najee Harris in the first round, as I've said to you was like buying new curtains for your living room that's on fire. And I think, you know, uh, buying Kenny Pickett was, you know, adding a dining set. Do you know what I mean? Like, where were they? and the room is still on fire. The room is still on yeah. fire. And that's the problem because I look at organizations like the Patriots, same draft that Najee Harris went. The Patriots took Ramondre Stevenson in like the third or fourth round, I think. Could have been lower, I can't remember. You know, mm. and then they go and get Bailey Zappi in. I don't know what it was. Was it the sixth round or something? Was it the fourth round? You know. Yeah. I. The last two drafts should have been first round offensive line, first round offensive line, and you should have gone and added high round talent. In my opinion, um, there's nothing against Pickett or Harris, but I think it's mismanagement of the draft, and I think it was mismanagement of the draft by a guy who was on his way out and was looking to add some logs to his legacy fire. Kevin Colbert going out, going, well, I'm going to take a running back in the first, and I'm going to take a, a quarterback in the first. They should have taken the boring picks. The fans are always wrong. The fans mm. are always wrong. Don't take the fancy players. Take the good players. And they didn't. And they're going to suffer for it this season because I think it's going to get bad, Jacko. I think it's going to get really bad. Um... They go home to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at Dolphins at Eagles. I think they lose all three of those, and they're one and seven going into their bye. Then they've got home against the Saints and Bengals. I think you split that one and one at absolute best. At the Colts, at the Falcons. I don't know. If TJ Watt's back, we might give the Colts some trouble in a low-scoring rock fight, but the Falcons are frisky. Then you go home Ravens at Panthers, Raiders. At Ravens, Cleveland. Like, mm -hmm. this is a double-digit losing season, and it's probably potentially picking in the top five. And hopefully this time, they take a fucking offensive lineman. But 
that's yeah, that's unfortunate. Third time's a charm. Yeah, yeah. That, so there's my Steelers rant. I needed the rant today. I'm on the therapy couch. Yeah, um, I'm glad I could give it to you. <laughs> uh, before we get out of here, Jacko, um, and look, there's so many angles I wanted to get to that we that we haven't. Like the Jets are on the rise. I'm excited for Jets fans. Yeah, forty to seventeen. I know there was no tour, but I don't know if tour makes. I don't know if he makes the difference in that game or not, but the point being the Jets have found something. It was a shame Jermaine Johnson went down injured. Um, I don't, I haven't seen, <sighs> I haven't seen what the, the deal is with his injury um, long-term. It was an ankle injury, uh, but I haven't seen anything. He's not practicing, but there's nothing here saying that he's out. Just that his status is uncertain for week six. So that that's positive for the Jets. Um, yeah. But before we get out of here, though, just a quick look ahead to Thursday night football. Um, we've got the Commanders mm. and uh, the Commanders at the Bears. Uh, where, what do you think <laughs> about this game? Is there, are there any angles? I just thought, do you want to get anything out of the way for the Sicko spreadsheet? I was having a little bit of a look. The total match points set at 37 and a half. Um, not what I think, Jake. You what? want to know what I really think? Tell me. Why are we being so mistreated and so <laughs> harshly punished on Thursday night football? Why are we not getting like great close division games? Why are we not getting these sort of the Bears and the Commanders could be they're in the running to compete with the Broncos and the Colts for the most depressing, saddest Thursday night football game. We just had a horrible one. Surely they can just mix around the schedule a bit and give us something a little more entertaining because this could get as much as I just as much as I just praised Fields and that Bears offense, this could just be ugly. It could be one of those ones where it's like combined seven for eighty-four on third down and just like the ball is not moved. Mm. Yeah, I I and it's weird though because like sometimes Carson Wentz, you know, will explode for like thread. Like, well, even on the weekend, um, Carson Wentz, I feel like actually played. I don't know if he played well because um, his coach came out and basically, you know, threw him under the, <laughs> the bus. Like, not mm. even subtly. It was like, yeah, quarterback is the problem. Um, he, I was just trying to find the, the box score against the Titans. So they lose 17 to 21. Wentz completes 25 of 38 for 359 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Ryan Tannehill on the winning side, 15 of 25 for 181 and a touchdown. Like, what is going on? What What is that? I need to go and watch these games, obviously, to get a better idea of where those incompletions are happening. Um, mm. You know, like... I don't know. So I could, yeah, I could, I could equal, I could definitely see this being like a, you know, 12 to nine game just as easily as I could see something weird happening at it being, you know, 24, 21 or something. And mm-hmm. just sometimes you get a good game between two bad teams, but then sometimes Hopefully. you get what we, what we had between the Broncos and the Colts. So, um, yeah. yeah, you just never quite know what you're going to get. Anyway, that is going to do us on this episode of the JBSC. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Until next time, you've been great. We've been reasonable. It's 
Jason JBC. Thanks for listening. 